Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Thank you all so much for being here today, and I just have a couple announcements before I announce our guest speaker. Um, just so everybody's aware, Pastor Deal is doing all right. His hip replacement surgery went well. Uh, he's home recovering. He does ask for prayers for Debbie specifically um, as she takes care of him. So um, <laughs> just, you know, prayers all around. Um, and um, on the back of your chairs, there's a QR code that you can scan. Um, if you're in the front row, sorry, you don't get to scan the QR code. But if you're in the further back, we would love for you to scan that QR code. And um, if you're new here or it's one of your, or you've been here for a little while and we have never been able to connect with you, that QR code is a great way to get connected with us. We uh, would like the first link on that QR code is a way to connect with us and we will send you a gift in the mail just to say thank you for being here. We really appreciate you coming and we're glad that you're here. Um, but also on that QR code, we have a couple of things on there that you can sign up for. And so one of those things is coming up this Saturday, there will be a mother-daughter beautiful conference coming up this Saturday. And you can sign up or have somebody you know send them that link. If you're like, hey, there's a mother-daughter conference and you and your daughter need to come, you can send that to somebody as well. And so we would love for you to sign up for that. And just scan, scan that QR code. There's a, a few other things on there for you as well. And now I get to introduce our guest speaker. Um, Michael Loggio is um, somebody that many of y'all might know. He has served here before as kids pastor. And, um, and then he also is Pastor Neil's great friend. And so we trust uh, what he has to say for us today. And y'all just give him a warm welcome. Morning. That was a good response. You would, you wouldn't believe it, but sometimes when you uh, speak in your own church, or you, or if you're a guest speaker in a church, you say good morning, and you get a lot of blank stares, and you're like, okay, Lord Jesus be with me. But uh, that's not the way it is this morning. So I'm Michael Logio. I'm a minister um, out of I'm an associate minister in, in Colleyville, Texas, at Journey Church. Um, interesting story about that. The guy that married us is the lead pastor there, and I get we get to serve underneath his leadership now, which is really cool. And it's always great to be back here because uh, when we first came as kids ministers, we didn't know that just a few years later, the Lord would call us away to Rome, Texas. He couldn't call us to Rome, Italy. <laughs> he called us to Rome, Texas, which was a lot different from Rome, Italy. So the expectation was blown way out of proportion, but it was very good. And, um, and then there was a time that we needed to step out to deal with my wife's health, but praise God, she's here with me with our daughter Tatum this morning and our future hopeful daughter that we're going to call KK. And uh, God's been very, very good to us. Um, I know that Neil and Debbie both thank you 
for their prayers or for your prayers. It's been, uh, been a couple of years since he's dealt with this pain in his hip. So it's really good that you know, he's able to get the surgery. But the only thing that concerns me is we're the same age. And I'm standing here going, am I going to fall down any minute now? <laughs> like, is this now, is this the new normal too? <laughs> I hope not. No, but he, uh, he and Debbie were, were doing great on the day of surgery Thursday. I was able to meet with them. There were some friends and family around. So it was awesome. So quick little thing about me. I don't like being told what to do. I mean, some of y'all laugh like you know me. <laughs> but let me explain. Let me give you an example about how much that I do not like being told what to do. So once upon a time, my wonderful wife, who I jokingly always say was born saved. It was okay to laugh at that. It's okay. She, she's definitely been saved longer than me, so it's okay. She was like any other good wife who was going to church. She was dragging her unsaved husband to church. And she said, guess what, honey? You're serving in youth ministry on Wednesday nights. And then I lovingly said, guess what, honey? Ain't happening. You know, number one, I already go to church on Sunday mornings. And I don't particularly care for it. Again, I wasn't saved. Number two, now you want me to go on Wednesday nights? And you want me to do something? No, this isn't going to work for me. But at the heart of it, she was telling me something to do. And I was just rebellious enough then and maybe a little bit now that I was like, it ain't happening. It's not happening just because you said so. Like, I'm going to prove to you that I'm a grown man and no one's going to tell me what to do. How many of y'all can relate? <laughs> the rest of you are liars. <laughs> I mean, we're in church this morning, too, and y'all just kept your hands down, left me hanging. Like, four of you put your hands up. Y'all are my people. Thank you. No, but I think deep down inside, most of us don't like being told what to do when it's something we don't necessarily want to do. Even if it's a good idea, we don't like being told what to do, but that's okay, regardless of how you feel about it. A common theme in the Old Testament is God telling the nation of Israel what to do and them not caring and then facing judgment because of it. You see, our obedience is nothing more than serving God. And sometimes we just don't want to do it because it wasn't our idea. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 25. Device works great too. If not, I'm pretty sure it's going to be on the screen behind me. Now, before we get into reading the text, I want to give you a little background on this. So Jesus is, has been teaching his disciples. It's near the end of the book of Matthew, so it's getting really close to the crucifixion time. That's the timeline. And in chapter 24, Jesus begins to talk about the end of the age, the day and the hour of after his ascension, and him returning back to establish his kingdom is completely unknown. And then he tells a parable at the beginning of uh, chapter 25 of the 10 versions, which is all about being ready at any moment for his return. Then he tells the, the parable or the story of the talents, which we're going to read this morning, and following that, he talks about the separation of the sheep and goats, or the believers from the non-believers. Or another way to look at it is those who are definitely saved, blood-bought by Christ, and those who maybe thought they were, but they weren't. They were just believers in identification, name alone, but their hearts weren't really completely sold out to him. 
It's important to understand that this story we're talking about this morning is sandwiched between all of this teaching about the, the, the end is coming at any moment. We have no idea when. And I think it creates a sense of urgency in what it is that we're supposed to be doing. So let's dive right in, starting in verse 14. The Bible says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now, some of your translations might use the word gold there, but what is a talent? That's kind of important to know. A talent was 75 to 80 pounds of silver. In today's dollar a pound, it would have been one, one talent would have been worth about $21,000. So to one guy, he gave about $100,000 worth of currency to and said, take care of it. Interesting that he also said, I'm giving you this talent, this resource in accordance with your ability. He did not give them more than they would be able to handle or more than they would be able to administer, take care of, use for his benefit, not their own benefit. All three of these servants knew it was not their money. It wasn't their treasure. It was the master's. It was God. And we keep reading. And as soon as the light hits my Bible just right and my glasses work, I'll be able to pick it right back up. The man who received the five talents went at once, put the money to work, and it said he gained five more. He was a pretty good steward. So also the one with two talents gained two more. Verse 18, but the man who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Can I just say that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, he took all that cash and buried it in the ground. I think today we wouldn't bury it in the ground because we'd be afraid somebody else might find it. Maybe then it was acceptable. Maybe there was a lot more open territory in Israel at that time. But every time I read that, I just go like, there seems like you could have done something more with that. Maybe I would have done the same thing, though. It says in verse 19, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. It was time to accept responsibility for what was entrusted to them. And it says that the one who received the five talents, he brought the other five and said, look, look what I did. His master responds in verse 21 and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come share in your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man with two talents came and showed him the two talents and the master said the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, both servants gave an account that said, hey, I did something positive with what you gave me. You trusted me, and I was able to use it to benefit not myself, but you. Notice also, they weren't promised a reward. They weren't necessarily paid for what it was they were doing. And something interesting, there's a real, real brief statement that says, and they were given charge over even more. Their reward was more responsibility. I think sometimes when we think about our lives at work, I, I've, I've thought this before, but it seemed like when I did a good job, I was just given even more to do. And I kind of scratched my head and was like, this is, uh, that's not how this is supposed to work. That's not how this is supposed to work. You know, in man's economy, hard work means you're given prestige, honor, and reward. But in God's economy, you have to earn the right for more responsibility. 
You have to earn the right. You don't work for your crown, as one old theologian would say, but you do, or you don't have to work for your salvation, but you do work for your crown or the reward in heaven. Continue on to verse 24. It said, Then the man that received the one talents came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, but I have what belongs to you. I brought it back. I didn't do anything with it, but I made sure that it didn't get stolen. And then the master's reply says, you know what, it's okay. I understand. You, you did the best that you could do. And it doesn't say that at all, does it? Matter of fact, it says something very strong, something very shocking. The master looks at the servant and says, you wicked, lazy servant. Probably not the words that he was expecting. You wicked, lazy servant. He said, you knew that I, I was a hard man, harvesting what I haven't sown, gathering where I've not scattered seed, meaning I wasn't the one that necessarily did the work, but I still expect a return. And he said, why did you not put the money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest? Then he says something else interesting. Take what was with the lazy servant and give it to the one that earned the most. For whoever does all these good things, even more is going to be given to but whoever does nothing with what I give them, whatever I gave them, I'm going to take it away. And then he says, finally, in verse 30, perhaps the most frightening part, and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, any time that we read in Matthew, and it's six times, but any time we read in the Bible, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It always talks of judgment, hell, and torment. Every time. See, this is a story that's all about obedience. It's simply about obedience. And when we think of the context of it being sandwiched between at any moment the end could come, all of a sudden the severity of us being obedient versus disobedient comes to light very quickly. Quickly, Waterhouse, I believe I have a word from God for you today. And the word is this. God says, you've been sitting, and now it's time to serve. It is no surprise to me, and it's not unknown to me, the great amount of pouring out of a blessing that God has done on Waterhouse Church. Pastor Neil and I are friends. We talk as often as we can, which is normally through text message, outside of the every other month or so that we're able to get together and have lunch or hang out. But when he talks about this place, and when I say this place, it's not the building, it's you. Just point right back at yourself. He's talking about you. He is amazed at whom God has brought and what God is doing. He can't believe it. He's like, God is so faithful. Takes zero credit for himself. If I'm lying, I'm dying. He takes none. He cares that much. But it, it doesn't go on. It's, it's not unnoticed about what sort of amazing work God is up to here. It's as if God is saying, I've been pouring out into this place and building it up. 
I've been filling every seat to an overflow. But now it's time for you to get up and go. There's an entire community here that needs me. There's an entire community that needs Jesus. We can't keep this for ourselves. We have to get up and do something. Now in the text, each person was given a different measures of gifts. And every one of us are given a different amount or measure of gifts. There's something important about the gifts that God gives us. There is not one gift that's greater than the other. The gift of speaking or preaching in a church is not greater than the person that serves as the administrative assistant or cleans the church or works in the nursery. You see, in God's kingdom, there is God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and then there's the rest of us, and that's it. We're all equal. Playing an instrument doesn't make you any better. Singing doesn't make you any better. It's just that preaching and playing an instrument make you noticed by other people, but it doesn't mean that they're better. You know, the person that sits at home in their prayer closet and prays for the needs of the, prays for the, needs of the church is just as important as whoever stands up here and speaks forth the word. Except something interesting that you notice about that is no one sees the person praying alone. But yet the one that matters most, most sees it and adores it. See, we're all equal under Christ then. And we're given a measure of a gift in accordance with our abilities. And it doesn't matter whether we think we're equipped or able or not. We're expected to use those God-given gifts for service to the King of Kings. We're expected to do that. Why? Because the gift belongs to God, not to us. Holding on to the gift that God has given you and not using it for service is like spitting in his face saying, well, I didn't really want that one. It's not what I asked for, so I'm not going to do anything. If I can be so bold as to say this, that's what I would expect a toddler to say. I would. I would expect a toddler to say that because, they, you know, toddlers tend to throw really good fits. And, and we see them in the store and we laugh, and one of these days I'm going to have one pretty soon, and I'm probably going to get really mad before I remember what I just said, and then I'm going to laugh. But I don't think God laughs whenever we, 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 we don't use our gifts. I think he's going, now, I don't think he's angry. I think he goes, man, I've got something so much more for you. And if you could only see what's on the other side of your serving, you would never have waited so long. You would never have waited so long. But the expectation is clear. Use the gift, talents, and treasures that God has given you. See, serving is nothing more than a practical demonstration of our faithfulness to Christ. I paused for dramatic effect there. I'm going to say it again, though. Serving is a practical demonstration of our service, of our faithfulness to Jesus. The first two servants did it well. They used their talents, and they used the treasure or the gifting that they were given and they got a return on that investment for the master. And each was rewarded for their faithfulness with more responsibility and with honor, with prestige before the king of kings. The third servant, though, 
The one that did nothing with what was given was called wicked and lazy. He admitted he was afraid. And sometimes I think it's important to acknowledge that if we aren't stepping out, maybe we are afraid. And that's okay. Maybe we're afraid of not meeting God's expectation. Maybe we're afraid that we're not talented enough or that we don't know how to use that gift. Can I tell you, God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. And all have been called into service. Let me say it again. God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called, and all are called. Therefore, we have zero excuses for not serving, for we're all going to be held accountable, each and every one of us. You know, the Bible is full of ordinary people that have done extraordinary things for God. One of those is in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Stephen, I read about him in my devotion the first, uh, this morning. He was the first Christian martyr. He died for his faith. Whoa, Pastor Michael. <laughs> Easy. You're talking to us about serving, and now you're saying we may need to die. You know, I really hope that's not for you. But if it is, my prayer would be, I hope you're, you have the strength to stand if you're called to that level of sacrifice. But my point is this. Your service may require extreme sacrifice. It may take more time than you wish that it would. It may take more of your treasure than you hoped for. It may require you to hone the abilities that God has given you in order to become even more gifted so that you can use them better. Or maybe you would be like Tabitha in Acts chapter number 9. Maybe a lot of your wealth will be required. See, she was known for ministering to the widow and the poor all around her community. The early church, one of them also met in her house. They didn't have a church building. But she facilitated it because she had the room. She used all that God had given her to benefit the local church. One of the really cool things about Tabitha is that she died, and they called the apostle Peter and said, Tabitha's gone. What do we do? And he went in, laid hands on her, prayed, prayed for her, and poof, she was resurrected to new life right then and there. God just wasn't done with her yet, and he's not done with you either. Or maybe you're called to be a Joshua, meaning you'll be second long before you're ever allowed to take the lead. You see, Moses was the prophet that was called to lead the children of Israel out of slavery of Egypt in the book of Exodus. And he was called not to initially lead them through the desert wandering 40 years. He was called to lead them to the promised land, but he wound up having to lead them through the desert for 40 years because they couldn't get it right and God was preparing them. But that entire 40-year time, Joshua was right with him, taking every step side by side with Moses you know he had to be saying, man, I'm so ready to take my spot. I'm so ready to take my spot. God, will this guy ever die? Like, When's it going to be my turn? He knew, but he waited. And a time came where Moses was not permitted to enter the land of Canaan and lead the Israelites to there. But Joshua was then ready. His time had come. The appointment with God on God's timeline had come. And Joshua was able to move from second to take the lead. And he did it well. Follow God's process. Or maybe you're called to be David. 
I think a lot of times, particularly as a man, when we hear about King David, we think about, if we know anything about biblical history, we think about the warrior David. We're like, man, this dude did everything. True Renaissance man. He wrote songs. He wrote poetry. He fought giants. I mean, he was a bad dude. Cut off this ginormous guy's head when he was a teenager. He killed a lion and a bear. I don't want to see any of that stuff. I mean, I think I'm not that tough, but I know I'm not tough enough to take a lion, a bear, or some really big guy that wants to stab me. That's not happening. That's not me. But that's not what David's heart was. See, David was a worshiper. He wrote all those psalms because his heart was crying out to God all of the time. And David had it in his heart that he wanted to build a temple in Jerusalem to the Lord his God. But God said, David, I, I appreciate it, but there's too much blood on your hands, so you can't build my temple. But you can lay the foundation of the work that's going to be completed through your son. Maybe you're called to lay a foundation for a new ministry right here at Waterhouse Church, but you won't be the one that takes it to the next level. And that's okay. It's okay. Why is it so important, though, that we serve? One very simple reason. Souls are at stake. Pure and simple. Souls are at stake. You know, all I can do at this point is share with you what two people's act of service in my life meant to me and what the result was. Early in my marriage, again, I said it at the beginning, I wasn't saved. I didn't know Jesus. I went to church every Sunday, and I went a lot of Wednesdays, too. And I enjoyed meeting friends and enjoyed hanging out. It made my wife happy. Everything was great. But after our son, who's now married and starting his own family, hopefully he doesn't start his own family anytime soon, though, because he just got married. <clears throat> Some of you get that. Right after he was born, my wife and I lost everything. And when I say everything, I mean we wound up losing everything. We lost vehicles, house. Both of us went through a job loss. It, it, it was a terrible time. I mean, it was terrible to go to the state for assistance and uh, have to humble yourself to that point. And then it was more terrible for them to say, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. And I was like, what else, what else do I have to do? Man, this is, like, this is crazy. My wife recognized that as a believer, as, as not a believer, as a belie she was a believer. I wasn't, that I had no hope whatsoever. And I was in a bad place mentally. So she reached out to some people at the church. And there was this couple who will go unnamed for privacy's sake. They gave us a little money. And then they came back and gave a little more. And then they showed up the next day and they brought some clothes for our son Wyatt little baby that just needed something. They brought some formula. They brought some bags of groceries. They said, we're not trying to offend you. We just want to love you. This is a hard time. We just want you to know that your church family loves you. Now, I was a man that wasn't saved. And I can point back to that moment as, I think this is the first time that I've seen people that actually acted like the church that I always heard about. And it made a difference, even though I didn't immediately fall to my knees and give God glory, get saved. It was still quite a few years. It changed me. 
And when we step out of our comfort zone and we begin to serve in a way that honors God, that he's called us to do, we have no idea what the impact is going to be out there for those that are coming in. At the end of your life, do you want to be known for what you did or what you didn't do? When it's all over, when they're gathered around, you're in a casket up here. Do you want them celebrating all that you did for God? Or do you want them going, man, they had so much potential? Sure wish they would have done it. Serving is simply being obedient to the calling of God. Christian, if you go ahead and come back up. The hour of Jesus' return is completely unknown. It could be right now. It could have been. I think we forget that sometimes. And because it's unknown, because we don't always have a sense of urgency, I think we need to remember it's at any moment, and we have to have a sense of urgency. And we should allow that sense of urgency to propel us forward, to get us up out of our seats and get active where we haven't been active before. Look around our city and realize there's a lost and dying, not generation, but up to five generations right here that still don't know the name of Jesus. It never amazes me, but it amazes some when they realize that you will meet people each and every day that have never set foot in a church. A couple of weeks ago, I met a young man that said he went to church a lot as a kid, but he still couldn't tell me who Jesus was or what Jesus did for him. Thank God we actually, I actually got over my insecurity and was willing to speak to him and at least telling the truth and give him an opportunity to know. But the time is now to act and walk in obedience in the area of service. So what's God been speaking to you? I didn't come here to push a button that God wasn't already starting to stir in people's hearts. I believe it all works together. God's been speaking to you. He's been speaking to Pastor Neil, and he's been speaking to me. And I believe God's stirring up some gifts in us and saying it's time to get up and do something because he's ready, which means you're ready. So on a practical standpoint, on a practical point, are you friendly, outgoing? You generally likable to buy everyone? Why are you not greeting? Why are you not at the front doors welcoming people? You're perfect. You're made just for that. Are you technical? You have an ear for sound, an eye for things that are aesthetically pleasing on screens? Why would you not ask if there's room on the media team for you? What if you don't want to be seen at all, but you still want to serve? There are so many places in a church that never get any acknowledgement, but they still need you. And Jesus will see it. Churches have to be cleaned. They have to be repaired. I heard an evangelist one time at our old church say, a lot of times people will say, I don't feel led to work in the nursery. And he said something that stuck with me. Maybe you need to get the lead out. That wasn't me. That was him. Isaiah Reed. You can email him. <laughs> Church doesn't happen without you. What goes on at Waterhouse each and every week and all during the week, it doesn't happen without you. 
And if something's not happening that's needed, could it be it's because you haven't identified it and stepped into your calling? You are in a place by God's calling, his divine calling. And you've been given a unique set of gifts and talents that God has provided. And that means you are perfectly positioned to help God grow his kingdom right here at Waterhouse Church. So the only thing left to say is this. Will you answer the call? Will you answer the call? Please stand. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to turn it over, back over to Pastor Karen to close us out. God loves you. He's got it. We always, you'll hear it in church circles. He's got an amazing plan for your life. You know what? He's got an amazing plan for you to reach lost people so that they can know Jesus. That's his plan for your life. That's his plan for all of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory this morning. The King of Kings is here. You've heard our praises. We've spoken your word and the word over the house, Father. I pray that it be received, God. Now stir in our hearts the act of service where we're supposed to serve right here at Waterhouse Church, God. Let us put our gifts to use. Let no stone be unturned, Father, and continue to know that this is a place you can send the lost, the broken, the hopeless, and the needy, Father, because it's a place where they will be welcomed, Father, and your name will be honored. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen.